Welcome to Living by Faith. I'm your host, Trillia Newbell, and I am really um, looking forward to this conversation today. I, I kind of want to just jump right in because it's the reality is a lot of us are, are feeling like it might be coming, if not here. And what I'm talking about is persecution. But recently, I got to speak about loving our neighbor. And I just wanted to read this scripture before we start, because I think it's kind of important to set the set our hearts right and get us ready as we talk about this topic that's so important. In Matthew 5, 48 through 48, um, Jesus is giving the Sermon of the Mountain. Um, and he, this text says, and Jesus proclaims, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even like the tax collector's? They are doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There is a lot I could say about this passage. I'd encourage you to study it, to go and look at what Jesus is telling us. But one thing is clear. Jesus wants us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. It isn't easy to love those who don't love you, is it? But it is what sets us apart as Christians in the world. Something we don't talk a lot about is persecution, which is why I am grateful for the work of my guest, Karen Ellis. Karen Ellis is the director of the Edmiston Center at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, where she teaches practical theology courses on Christian endurance in the face of cultural hostility. She holds master's degrees from Yale University and Westminster Theological Seminary and is a Ph.D. candidate at Oxford Center for Mission Studies in Oxford, England. Since 2003, she has worked as an advocate for the global persecuted church, raising awareness and persecuting indigenous leadership in countries where Christianity is restricted or repressed. She is an expert, and I'm so excited to be talking with her. So, Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Trillia. It's my honor to be here with you again. I love talking with you, and I love talking about Christian endurance under anti-Christian hostility. Yeah. Yes. So I want us to start by just giving some definitions. So Mm -hmm. how do we define persecution? Mm. Great question. Well, persecution is, uh, you know, Paul, the Bible, uh, Paul in the Bible describes it uh, as a range of uh, responses to the world, of the world, to the name of Christ, to the fragrance of Christ, to Mm. the life of Christ, um, that Christ himself experienced when he walked the earth. And so it can be a range of, you know, people from what uh, the Bible will call gnashing of teeth and, you know, resentment all the way to um, uh, to acts of violence and um, all the way then to uh, death and paying the ultimate sacrifice and a wide right. range of things in between. 
Um, but then there's also, in addition to the biblical, you know, how the Bible understands persecution of Christian, um, there's also the human rights idea of what right. um, modern human rights idea of what persecution actually is. And that's sort of a way that um, organizations like Open Doors love them for the work they do. They do amazing research. Uh, and also uh, Voice of the Martyrs, International Christian yeah. Response. They have to have some way of identifying uh, cultures and societies that are hostile toward, more hostile toward Christianity than others who live in what I would call the freer world. Um, mm. I would never use the word persecution in our context um, only because it doesn't necessarily fit that definition of the top 50 countries of concern that they would call where people are actually not just being discriminated against, but are experiencing uh, uh, violence uh, yes, against yeah. their life, against their person, against their property. Um, although there have been places in American history where there have been violent acts against Christian populations. Um, I think about, you know, the during the transatlantic slave trade and during our history of slavery, Christians were certainly uh, restricted on their religious right. movement, their their ability to assemble, their ability to hold and have and read the word, yep, um, yeah. their ability to worship on the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath. So, um, but I wouldn't use that in our context today. What I do say in our context today here in the freer world is mm -hmm. I do say that there is a rise in anti-Christian hostility that yeah. actually shouldn't surprise us because the Bible tells us that's actually the normal, that's the normative Christian position. That's the, the position that the church was born into. Right. Uh, I mean, First Peter even tells us, don't be surprised. Yeah, by the fiery <laughs> when, uh, trial. Yep. Yes, the fiery trials come upon you. Do not be surprised. And uh, I've actually been really calling, uh, as the culture shifts and as uh, people express more and more open hostility, toward um, the church and toward um, biblical understanding and biblical lifestyle and biblical conviction and the gospel of the transformative gospel of Jesus Christ that welcomes everybody but asks you, okay, we're going to start changing you now <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to transform. There's a culture that's that really resents that message and doesn't want to that part of the gospel. So even as they, even as that part of the culture rejects who we are at our core, I've really been thinking about that scripture that says, don't be surprised. Yeah. There's yeah. an offense built into the gospel. And it's not yeah. just, it's not, it's not me being uh, a jerk. It's not me hitting people over the head with the Bible. It is genuinely built into the gospel. To the, it's a fragrance of life to those who are being saved, and it's a stench to those who are perishing. Mm. And uh, so don't be surprised. That's been, my, that's been my, my passage I've been meditating on for, gosh, a couple of months now. I think it's so wise. And so, yes, absolutely. We don't want to be surprised. Um, yet, mm. often, we are. And people... We are. Yeah. And right now, you can see, I think there's a reaction we we react as a result <laughs> and um take up arms I, I i can see that happening so mm -hmm. what how speaking to americans mm. um this actually living by faith is international and i think mm -hmm. the lord for people who are listening in other places so i i do want to talk 
real quickly about our American context, however, mm-hmm. who where where people who are they they feel like right now they are being persecuted. So so you mm-hmm. said we're not, but it's mm-hmm. on the rise. Help people understand those distinctions. Right. So um, there are, well, the distinction is uh, we are not experiencing, for example, what um, the rate at which people in Nigeria, say, let's say northern Nigeria, where uh, you're being terrorized for your faith, for being a right. Christian. And, and we may be experiencing, you know, legislative issues, lawsuits. Those are very real uh, discrimination cultural pressure. Um, We've actually become very much an honor-shame culture. And so the public shaming that comes with being associated with being a Christian. But that's not quite what, um, you know, people say in northern Nigeria are experiencing, where, you know, they're actually being burned to death in their churches and targeted because, uh, because they represent Christ. Um, it's, it's not what, uh, for example, um, folks say in, um, in, in Southeast Asia may be experiencing where, uh, or North Korea, you see what I'm saying? So there's a, there's a distinction and a differentiation. I think, I think that one of the reasons why we are surprised, uh, when the fiery trials, what feel like fire to us, because we're not familiar with the dynamic um, one of the reasons why we are surprised is because we've been comfortable for a very long yes. time. Yes. And we've enjoyed the perks of the dominant culture. And, um, you know, it's it's not that everybody is a Christian, but it's certainly something, it's, it's a, you know, the biblical Christianity has largely been accepted and an acceptable position for, for centuries. Um, and, to understand that that's normative actually takes, I think, living through it. And it's and so, okay, so now we're at a crossroads of understanding, is it desirable? Just because it's normative, is it desirable? Are there, Do people who live under anti-Christian hostility, under extreme violence, do they want to be delivered from that? Absolutely. Mm. But they also understand that God has a purpose to it. And mm. that it is one of his ways of spreading his kingdom. Uh, you know, the old, uh, the old adage from, I think it was Tertullian, who said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There is mm. truth in that. But there's also truth in that God works in both circumstances. He's, he, he expands his, his, because he's God, he expands right. his kingdom uh, under anti-Christian hostility. And he also expands his kingdom in the freer world. Um, in the absence of hostility. Now, how he does that, I do not know. It's part of his promise-keeping nature that he's going to keep a people for himself. Um, mm-hmm. And that because it's from every ethnicity, every tongue, every tribe, that he's pulling people uh, you know, out of the world and into his marvelous light. Because of that, you're going to run into different cultural, political, historical situations as you look across the globe, even throughout history, um, right. you know, Europe um, is very different from what Europe looked like 400 years ago in terms of its 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 position towards the gospel and the cultural position towards the gospel. Um, some countries, <laughs> some nations have risen and fallen uh, and don't even exist anymore. And so 
as these shifts happen, we can expect that um, anti-Christian hostility looks different from place to place because it's determined by um, it's determined by culture, history, politics, and um, the responses. There's a there's a commonality in the responses um, of God's kingdom people, even though you know the 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 expressions of hostility may differ. Um, the actors who are hostile towards Christianity change. Um, in India, it might be um, you know the um, the uh, global the globalist Hindu um, nationalist movement. Um, in um, the Middle East, it might be Islam. It's, it's, there's, so there's different actors, and the dynamics change from place to place. Mm. Well, we have a lot more to talk about when we return with Karen Ellis. You are listening to Living by Faith with Trillia Newbell, and I'm talking with Karen Ellis. She is an expert on the persecuted church and and what's going on in our our culture, both historical and current. And and we want to know and grow and kind of learn how to engage this well. And that's where I want to turn this conversation because I know that the scriptures say to pray and remember those who are in prison, right? But I often, I want to confess because of the, the comfort and just my busyness, I forget mm-hmm. to pray yeah. for those who are being oppressed in mm. so far as persecuted. Um, mm. I can see the people... I can see oppression that's in different ways. And, and mm-hmm. if it's right in front of me, I, mm-hmm. I can mourn and weep and, and pray, but I am guilty of forgetting yeah. those yeah. who are suffering um, in the persecuted church. So I, that's mm-hmm. a part confession, but I know sure. that I'm not alone. And No, you're not. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, how do we remember and mm. and humble ourselves before the lord to to yeah. to remember well having conversations like this trillia i think go a long way yeah. to um reconnecting the body global and historical um with the you know with with what's going on and um what how people are responding to you know, how people are building the kingdom in spite of these circumstances, how they're being faithful and how they're staying faithful. So I really appreciate that you're actually hosting a conversation like this. Mm. Um, and you've actually joined a much larger conversation that I'll tell you about. Uh, um, a few years back, I was introduced to um, the idea that it's really sprung up organically, but it's really been catalyzed by the Holy Spirit and carried along by the Spirit um uh the the church is talking to herself across mm. geographic and linguistic lines for the first time in a very long time and uh so we have believers in one country saying hey we're going to start publishing like our sermons and we're going to make them available and they're coming through um organizations like the Center for House Church Theology that's publishing the Early Rain Network. Now, if you know who Early Rain is, that's uh, Pastor Wang Yi, who's been uh, incarcerated for his faith. He actually anticipated his incarceration uh, and started writing very Pauline letters 
um, mm. to be published after he was after he was locked up. And so those are being published and they're saying, we want you to know what's happening. So there's this, there's this interesting movement. There's actually um, disciple makers coming out of the Middle East saying, this is how we're doing what we're doing. Do you want to learn? And so hmm. we're talking to each other. So, okay, I, I use this analogy. Um, there's this bizarre disease. Um, it's a genetic disease and it really exists, uh, particularly in a town in Sweden. And it gets passed down through uh, through their particular DNA, and it's called uh, congenital analgesia. And for the person who has this illness, you can go, you can like, there's a documentary on it. It's a wild illness, but for the person who has congenital analgesia, you can't feel pain. Wow! And yes, so, I've seen all, yeah, yeah, and so all of life becomes a hazard for them because they break a bone, they don't feel it. They, um, their internal organs can fail yep, and they yep. won't feel it. They'll get, yeah. they'll co- show up with bruises and, you know, and, and people are like, oh, has somebody been hitting you? And they're like, no, but I don't remember this happening, you know? And so they can cut themselves and bleed and they won't feel it. And I feel like we, the world, the global church has been, you know, operated in their little silos for a really long time. Hmm. And uh, we've had this spiritual analgesia. Yes. Right. Yes where we can't feel the rest of the body. We can't feel when Paul wrote, if my, if my, you know, if my hand, if my, my toe hurts, my, the rest of my body hurts, I should feel it. Well, I feel, it seems that through this conversation, the spirit is reconnecting our sinews and our synapses mm. and our muscles and our nerve endings. And more and more people are having conversations like you're having like the Center for House Church Theology is having, like mm. uh, Global Catalytic Ministries, our, our charismatic friends working in the Middle East are having, where they're saying, hey, let's let's share our ideas. Let's talk to each other and let's go beyond our stories, which are very important. It's important to know what's happening in the world, but we're going beyond our stories to how we are spreading and advancing the kingdom as this anti-Christian hostility is happening. Now, for us in the freer world to understand this is treasure. Hmm. This is gold. And so um, so I just, I, I, I encourage you to have more conversations like this. If you're in the sound of our voices, I encourage you to go and get the resources from Center for House Church Theology. Go and get the resources from Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors um, yeah. and then the smaller boutique um, uh, support agencies like International Christian Response and uh, HMK in Switzerland. I mean, these folks, they are sharing information that we need, as we are not surprised to see a rise around the world. There yeah. are more people being persecuted and martyred today than any time in history. Hmm. Three quarters of the Christian population, global Christian population, lives under some sort of repression. We're the 25%, right? Wow. And so we've got this great opportunity to learn from them. What do the what do the sacraments mean to them? What does it mean mm. to them when they, when they take the, 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 the meal that the Lord has given us and, and has promised, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have this meal with you again. What does it mean to them to be baptized and made new? What does it mean to walk away from 
not just your family, but in your culture, but know that you're choosing Christ. and You may yeah. not ever have a job in your society ever again. How do you take care of these kinds of people? And so it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. It's a great time to open our hearts to what God is doing, this undercurrent conversation that now this conversation is a part of, right? And a part of mm. the record that we can enter into the lives of those, of our brothers and sisters. Oh, I love this. And so let's learn from them. What mm -hmm. does it look like for believers to patiently endure? Mm. Well, it looks different in different ways, depending on uh, what circumstances they're living in, what circumstances they're living under, a wartime, a fog of war situation and crisis and resettlement and refugee situation is very different from, um, you know, how Bible-believing churches operate when they have a little bit more, less restriction, um, when they have stability. And so it really, it really depends on, it depends on the kind of persecution. Like there's, there's all sorts of, um, there's all sorts of things we could learn from China about the digital world and their surveillance oh. world, right? Yes. Yeah. And so they know a lot about um, how to navigate and be a Christian and share the gospel when the risk is really high of being found out. Um, and so, you know, it, it really depends on where you're located. What does it mean to, I've, I've, <laughs> I, was, um, I was in a war zone in uh, South Sudan and I was, um, this was about, I guess, maybe six or seven years ago during their, during their, um, their war. Yeah. And, uh, I was in a refugee camp and we traveled across the border from Northern Uganda to South Sudan and the church had been closed for three years, um, mm. padlocked. And I was there and this was a group of people who had chosen to live in the bush. Um, as opposed to take their chances. They wanted to stay close to their home property. Um, they wanted to stay in their country. They didn't want to cross into the refugee camp. And so they took their risk and they lived in the bush for three years. Well, they opened the church for the first time in three years. And we went in, we negotiated our way in and our way out. And seeing those folks worship for the first time in three mm. years um, together when we were told don't stay more than 90 minutes, those folks worshiped for like six hours. Mm. They were just so glad to be the church together. I mean, in a very light way, it kind of feels like, oh my gosh, when the pandemic restrictions were lifted and we could all be together again, it was like, yeah, you know, but in a very real sense, you know, these were people who had been traumatized and mm. pastors and lay leaders who had been traumatized as well, you know, with uh, with extreme violence, but they were they needed to pour out on the people that they were ministering to. So you know, their context looks very different because of the set of circumstances that they have. Um, what does a what is it what does a seminary in exile look like? You know, mm. you've been exiled from your country, but you still need to go to seminary, and so. People set up seminaries in exile. It's just, it's, so, it's fascinating to me to look across the world and see the consistency of the message, the consistency of God's faithfulness, the consistency yeah. of the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel, and yet 
how the dynamics shape that consistent message and how it shapes the, you know, how it shapes from one situation to another. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. So everybody has a different answer to the same question. It's the same answer on some, and on one hand, but on the other hand, it's different because the circumstances change. You know, it just sounds to me like they're willing to do anything, like to do anything to to be close to God, to know God, to yeah. to read His God, to study His Word. And you know, I I must say, I think that the again American culture, we need to learn something. I, after the pandemic, it actually was really hard for people to go back to church and for pastors mm. to get their people back to church. That is, yeah. And so yeah. we we are comfortable. Yeah. And we, st- you, it was, it has been from what I understand stati- statistically a, an uphill battle, yeah. and um, and I, I remember seeing a video once of uh, someone I don't remember the people group or the name getting a Bible in their language for the first time, mm. and they were weeping and wailing, mm-hmm. and it just I've brings seen that chills. Video too. Yes, yeah. it brings yeah. me chills to think about, yeah. and how t- I am in looking in my home right now, and I probably have 50 Bibles. Yep, yep. And I can't remember where the one is that I used last Sunday. Is it in my purse or is it, you know, it's like, is it on the couch? You know, but yeah, I I get it. I get it. So, so I- It'll change you. It, yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I'm so glad for us to think through and read about the stories. I'm glad for the voice of the martyrs who writes about the stories of those. Um, But I I pray that we will learn. And I'm even now just convicted and encouraged and inspired. And um, I want to, yeah, it's a humbling thing. When we return, we will continue to talk to Karen Ellis and grow. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I'm Trillia Newbell, and we are talking about persecution and talking with Karen Ellis and and how we endure. How can we endure well when we're persecuted? And and so we're looking at those who have been persecuted, but I want us to be prepared. How do we endure in the Christian life? How do we prepare for it? So do you have any words of wisdom and advice on just preparing? Well, you know, I go back to, you know, kind of where we started by, you know, in First Peter, do not be surprised when you suffer because you bear the name of Christ. You know, um, when people hate you for the sake of you taking the name of Christ, for you having a desire to live biblically, because you make that your primary identity, um, you know, you're, you're going against the grain of the culture, but you're going with the grain of the kingdom. And your first people are not necessarily defined by your nationality or your ethnicity or your social class or your political party or your civil protest organization or by any earthly man-made category. Your primary identity is with the people of God and your tools for enduring are different. Um, He's given us a set of tools. It's interesting. You know, when when the Lord delineates the tools that he's given us, the spiritual tools, the spiritual weapons of warfare, it's interesting. Nobody can disarm you from prayer. Nobody can take prayer away from you. Nobody can stop you from praying. It's like, uh, you know, they'd have to they'd have to knock you out. And even then, the Holy Spirit is still (laughs) still interceding on your behalf for your good and God's glory. You know, so it's it's it's, you know, the, the weapons that we've been given. 
think we turn oftentimes to man's weapons because, you know, well, they've worked in the past, you know, it's got to be a political solution. It's got to be a, a cultural or social solution. It's like, well, does it? Is that, hmm. is that how the kingdom of God has propagated throughout history? So I think going back to, you know, not being surprised when you suffer because you bear the name of Christ and knowing that we suffer differently because people are persecuted for other things around the world, but we suffer because we bear the name of Christ right. and it's normal Christian living. So um, at the Edmiston Center, at RTS Atlanta, we are dedicated to researching and teaching all Christians about Christian endurance under anti-Christian hatred and hostility. And a couple of weeks ago, we were privileged to host this pastor um, at the Edmiston Center who's, he's been in our country for 13 years. His name is Pastor Will DeJesus, and he's Eritrean. And he's hmm. an ordained pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And he witnessed a government coup. And as a Christian, he resisted the state church as a false church in his country. And he was arrested and thrown into a shipping container, which mm. was a typical punishment for God's faithful in, in that region. And um, he talked about the redemptive purpose of suffering uh, in his life, that, he, that in that moment... You know, people in the people who under, undergo anti-Christian hostility, some of them do falter. Some of them feel they come out of it and they say, I didn't suffer well. I did suffer well. God buoyed me up. God, you know, God, God kept me. He's the one who's doing the keeping. And God put him in there um, for exactly the reasons that first Peter outlines to test his faith. And he said, you know, uh, the thing that he learned in there was God asking him, in, in my words, um, do you really believe everything that I've said? Hmm. Do you believe that I'm doing the things that I'm doing? So suffering has purpose in God's economy. It strengthens our faith. And he also made a really great point. He said, trials come when they're necessary. And the suffering they produce reveals the quality of your life. It shows us where we need to grow. And we mm. all need to grow. Yes. And, you know, James 1 tells us, let steadfastness have, his, have its work, right? Through the experience of hardship and God's faithfulness uh, in the midst of sin, in the midst of this pastor's doubts and his pain, uh, he learned this truth that God's twin gifts to his people are conjoined. They're conjoined twins and their faith yeah. and suffering. And so when we start to think about suffering as a gift from God, like God has allowed this for his purposes, for our good and for his glory, to expand his kingdom, let's find out why he's growing us this way. Hmm. When, when I step back and I give, I start to think, okay, why are these things happening then? What is, what is it? And I know that, you know, great people get there, you know, way quicker than I do. It takes me a little while. I like to kind of wallow for a bit and like, oh, and fret, you know, and, and wring my hands and worry and be anxious. And the Lord says, no, cast it on me. There's a reason for this. And I'm redeeming everything. I'm going to use 
all of this. And so, you know, just meditating on the redemptive purpose in suffering uh, and, and meditating on those passages, why things like persecution exist? Why, why, did, why was Cain so angry with Abel? Because mm. Abel worshiped rightly. I mean, that's really the first, the first, you know, man against a, a man's assault against another man for wanting to worship in obedience and truth. And, you know, that spirit still extends down to today, you know, that there's Absolutely. this this resentment against people who say, I'm going to acknowledge that God is who he says he is, that he's doing what he says he's going to do. And I'm going to live according to the way he has ordered this world, not the way Satan has dis- disrupted and, and uh, dis- destroyed um, the, the, the world, the, the good, the, the world of shalom that God created. So uh, I, I encourage everybody to take heart um, that I'm here to tell you that the horrible current events of the world we've seen unfold, not just over the last few months, not even over the last few years, but over the last 10 or 20 years, globally yeah. and locally, they seem to be serving the purpose of wakening the body of Christ. Mm. And we need to know about this awakening so we can enter into it too. Mm. I um oh, yes, amen to that. And I pray that we will endure, that we will be mm. awake. But but that that is my um if I were to have a concern for mm-hmm. our our current culture, it's that we because we're comfortable, when we are squeezed will will we be able to withstand will we be able to and and so what are some practical things that you might encourage christians to do now i mean maybe it's too spiritual it's not practical maybe (laughs) no it is it's a great question and it has a spiritual answer yeah. And you know the the answer is <laughs> the answer is right in scripture. We pray. Mm. Yeah. We get used to praying and we get used to praying kingdom prayers. Um prayers that focus, you know, the prayers of the saints in the in the New Testament tell us a lot about how they endured, what their priorities were, what their focus was. Um and 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 you know, you ask, you know, I don't know. I often say to myself, you know, what what if I were presented with a massive lawsuit, um, you know, again, <laughs> that was unjust um, mm. because I just wanted to serve God the way that he, he's asked me to honor him and honor his name. And, uh, and my reputation was being, you know, ruined. I was being financially ruined. Um, I would want to hate. I would want to. I would want to give up. I might want to cave in because it's just easier. Yeah, temptation will do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I ask the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I would stand or not, but I pray that I would. Yes. And I pray that you would strengthen me if that moment ever comes for me. It could come for me in a small moment that has big consequences where. I'm like, Lord, just help me stand and start praying. Start praying the priorities of the kingdom. Mm. That is my prayer. Lord, help us stand. 
We will have more when we return. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I am your host, Trillia Newbell, and we have been talking to Karen Ellis. She is the author of Wisdom's Call, 100 Meditations for a Life in Christ. You know, as you were talking, Karen, I just couldn't help but think, man, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. is, this is something we cannot and we should not try on our own. Um, I, I love that you've also been talking a lot about prayer. I started this, um, our time together with Jesus mm-hmm. commanding us to pray. Mm-hmm. But what what is what kind of wisdom and wh- where can we go, go for you? You have you've talked about different um, texts in the Bible, and you've talked about different um, organizations. But but what is it that you think that we need most? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> You're asking me to write a prescription. I know. I physician. don't know. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I think, uh, you know, and, and, you know, take this for what it's worth. I, I can just tell you what I've been exposed to and yeah. what has been helping me understand uh, our unique position um, in the world, in global history in church history. Um, and we are at a really unusual time. You know, I, I asked a friend of mine um, uh, who serves in the Middle East once, you know, he's, he's, he's on the charismatic side and he's like, Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, you know, so Presbyterian me, I'm like, well, you know, of course we know he's coming back, but you know, no man knows the day or the hour. Right. And I was like, and he's like, no, Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, well, all right, well, what makes you so sure? And he made a really good point, even though I acknowledge no man knows the day or the hour, um, but we do know he is coming back. Um, he said, you know, there's never been before um, this, this, well, first off, we have this rise of persecution globally um, and a rise of uh, indifference and also a great growth in the church, um, uh, you know, outside of the, the West. And he says, that's really unusual. And he said, but also... He said, there's never before been this global blindness to personhood. And it's global. Um, What makes a person human? What makes um, a man a man? What makes a woman a woman? And it's, it's like a global deception. And, and I said, wow, that's, that's actually a really good point because there's always been wars and rumors of wars and children have been disobedient to their parents. You know, all the things that, the, you know, those things have always been since Jesus was talking with his disciples, uh, you know, about, you know, like, well, when will we see these things come to pass, you know? And it's a great point. Um, and so it's a, we live in a unique time. And why, if, if we believe that God is sovereign over all things, then even the historical time period he's assigned us um, matters and, and has significance and has purpose in his plans. I, you are, your life and my life, Trillia, would look really different if this was 1823. Yes, yes. But it's true. 2023. Right. Right. And so why now? Why now? And what unique responsibilities 
um, does does this moment in history bring? What unique opportunities does it bring? And so um, I'm asking those kinds of questions as I look for organizations and resources that are um, encouraging this this encouraging the the us to live in the oneness and the unity, the global unity that that the Lord prayed for in John 17. Yeah. Um, and you know that that whole prayer is given in the context of he first cautions his disciples in the preceding chapters that the world was going to hate them as it hated him. And so his whole that whole prayer of unity is framed by reflection on the enmity between him and the dark force at work against him that was set in motion in the first garden. But he also frames it in terms of his victory over Satan. And so, you know, that as I focus on our oneness and our global oneness and how the body seems to be talking to herself across all these geographic and linguistic lines, um, there is a resource that's come out of Canada that's, that's currently spreading beyond these borders, but it's, it's being used in India, it's being used um, and, and a number of um, other different places. And it's, uh, it's seven days of prayer with Jesus. And it's basically focusing on the Lord's prayer and the mm. priorities of the kingdom. And it's it's a great. I mean, there are, there are so many there's so many wonderful resources about prayer. But what I appreciate about this one is that it offers you the opportunity to refocus on the kingdom, which is what it, it deals with your idols at the outset. Our Father deals with the character of God, and it takes you through uh, systematically. It takes you through understanding the fullness of each of those movements as Jesus prayed them. And they have a, a number of other resources too. There's one called Prayer Revolution. Those have been really helpful for me and my people um, in my community to sort of join this conversation at the very least in prayer. Um, well, because would you we, tell we, the resource name again? I don't want to keep... Yes. Yeah. It's uh, Prayer Current. And okay. I do believe their website is either prayercurrent.com or prayercurrent.org. Maybe you can add a link, um, you know, in your in your show notes. Um, but it is out of Canada. And um, they the two resources I mentioned are Seven Days of Prayer with Jesus, which is focused on the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer. And then um, Prayer Revolution, which is also very helpful. And it's it's wild because, you know, it doesn't, tell us anything that we don't already know. But what it does is it reminds us of things that we may have forgotten, that our comfort may have erased in our memory banks. And so it, it's, it, it marks, it helps us mark a return to the simplicity of the kingdom um, in the face of, a, of very busy lives, of highly distracted lives. Um, it, it's a great it offers a great opportunity to reorient. And like I said, join this global conversation that's happening. Well, um, Moody Publishers is the is the publisher for Prayer Revolution. And so if you would like a copy of Prayer Revolution and Wisdom's Call, I would love to give it to you. You can email us, email me, email us at livingbyfaith at moody.edu. That's livingbyfaith at moody. Edu. Um, we'll give out a copy of both, one copy to a Prayer Revolution by John 
Sneed and Smeed, I believe. And um, Smed. Wit Smed. <laughs> we'll get it. We'll get it right. Smed. That's Smed. cool. That's cool. Oh, it's fantastic. John Smed. And also Wisdom's Call by Karen Ellis. I've got Karen's right. Right. So um, these are these are great resources. And it's um, we we want to help resource the church to make disciples and to help um, equip the church so that we might be wise, so that we might grow in prayer, so that we might remember. We also um, with Moody Publishers, we partner with the Voice of the Martyrs. So mm-hmm. I would love for you, you all check out our website, go to Moody Publishers and check out our website and look at all of the resources we have. We have a lot of resources mm-hmm. Um, to help you and equip you for the task that we have been talking about. But I, I love the, the little bit of simplicity. It's simple, but it's hard because we have to do it. We, it's mm-hmm. a habit-forming muscle to pray. That's right. And, and I, I, I really do believe that um, it's one of the most neglected of the disciplines is mm-hmm. to, to pray. So thinking about your personal life and how you how do you build that habit of prayer and then give us maybe like one or two what things that we can do right now hmm. um well i think we should definitely pray before we wrap up um that's something we can do right now um well, why don't you go ahead are... go ahead right. right now yeah all right yeah, the, <laughs> you're actually applying uh, one of our principles. It's like, don't talk about prayer, just pray. Yes, just do it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, uh, we are spiritually flabby, and um, we want to we want to develop our prayer muscles. We want to prepare our hearts. Uh, we want to focus on the things that are important to you. Uh, we want to still every voice that clamors for our attention and our affection and our loyalties, God. There's so many around us. But Lord, we genuinely want to serve you, God. We want to finish well. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, we know that we will not do things perfectly. Only you did things perfectly. But we thank you that we can walk in your footsteps and live well and suffer well and endure well in the victory that you've already claimed over sin, hell, death, and the grave. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Bless us with your presence. Amen. Amen. I'd like to thank my guest, Karen Ellis, for joining me today. Also, thanks to the behind-the-scenes team at Moody Ready, Karen Hendren, my producer, and my engineer, Courtney Young. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at livingbyfaithradio.org or on the Moody Radio app. You may also connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trillia Newbell. Living by Faith is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. 